0: Greetings, everyone. You're listening to the Career Quest podcast, created out of the Work Integrated Learning and Career Education Center. I'm your host, Megan Harker. We will explore and discuss a variety of topics relating to inspirational stories of NorQuest students, work relevant skills for today's workforce, insights into organizations and their hiring practices, employment and labor market trends, and much, much more. We wanna support students by maximizing empowerment through education and experience. Thanks for tuning in. Hello listeners, thanks for tuning in to episode six of the CareerQuest podcast, where there's a will, there's a way. We are excited to have our guest with us, who is an owner of a social enterprise organization that works with companies to raise awareness and build solutions around equity, diversity and inclusion. They will also talk about the importance of work-integrated learning and their recent experience in hosting a NorQuest student. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the CareerQuest podcast today. Excited to have you as our guest and just wanting to get to know you more as well as your career journey and the organization that you are representing today.
1: Yeah, uh, Megan, pleasure to be here actually. When uh, Cheryl, approached me with this. I was like, oh, I'm really excited to be able to chat just because of the work that I've done with uh, work integrated learning as well as the CSL program in Northwest, And also knowing that you, Carolyn Campbell, who was previously a deputy city manager when I worked at the city and so is now the president of Northwest, it just felt like, you know, it's coming together in such a way that Northwest is stepping up their game in terms of moving towards uh, Building a lot of solutions in terms of academia, world towards getting people out into the job market. So happy to be part of this conversation, and my journey. Huh. So I'm an architect by profession. So it's it's been an interesting journey because my heritage is uh, my parents are East Indian. And I was born in Nigeria, grew up in South Africa, uh, and Dubai for the most of my life. I moved here when I was 24 after uh, working in Dubai as an architect for about a year and a half. And uh, I was one of the resident architects on Palm Island project, which is a man-made island in the middle of the ocean. Why I have to say that is because right now I've gone from an architect to being a social entrepreneur and I'm the chief, Disruptor with Next Evolution Ventures, and also the president of Step Up Leadership Excellence. Now, these are two organizations that uh, are working in the realm of equity, diversity and inclusion. So a huge change from architecture to EDI, and it's been a journey in many ways, a journey that's been about 15 years. When I came to Canada in 2004, I came to pursue my master's at U of A uh, in construction engineering and management. And my thought process at that point was, oh, I'll take my architecture degree, my construction engineering management degree, become a project manager, and you know, grow in the, the construction side of things. Perfect, especially in Alberta, where this seems to be the norm in many ways. But then the first barrier came was you no, know, you're an architect, but you're not a Canadian architect. You do not fit the profile of what Canadian architecture requires in terms of licensing and and so on so that was the first barrier to say you know what even though i've got a degree in architecture and i've worked on some renowned projects i'm not actually accessible i can't access the canadian market in many ways and on top of it i was also not an engineer here so that made a huge difference in in even growing within the construction But I had an opportunity when I joined the city of Edmonton, Uh, they took a chance with me and I became a project engineer with them. But again, with a lack of uh, opportunities in moving in the engineering side of things, I kind of like pivoted a little bit into being a policy advisor on the financial side with respect to uh, infrastructure. So I, I shifted directions and then I moved again into I had to make a decision of going, do I keep going technical or do I step into a management leadership type? And I realized that I really liked the management leadership style of wisdom. So I I stepped into the world of leadership. Um, And the last seven years of my career with the city was essentially being part of a senior executive leadership team. And I'd be saying probably the only person that was of um, um, color, in, in a senior position and a much younger age than most of my counterparts. While that brought out opportunities, that also brought out a lot of challenges. Um, but the kind of work that I was doing was more around organizational transfer, transformation and integrating, trying to be business savvy while trying to develop culture within the organization in terms of building morale and uh, employee engagement in many ways and i realized quickly that i was a people person i love the side of like having to see how do we actually give uh, people an opportunity to like empower themselves to become better versions and you know as the world is changing around the environment of the work environment was changing how do we keep them still engaged and productive through the process and so uh, while my intent was for organizational transformation automatically i was doing a lot of uh, dni work including becoming the chair of the DNI committee and so on. and And when I left the city, I stepped into this world because I was just like, this just makes sense for me, this is where my passion is. Uh, I didn't realize that I was through my 15 years, I was actually doing it. It just became more forefront towards uh, the last seven years of my career where it, it seemed different, where it was like you're, you're trying to create new stuff, innovating and integrating things, but you're also trying to build culture in in such a way. So that's been my journey towards building these two organizations. So why two organizations? Because one is a subset of the other in many ways. The first organization, Next Evolution Ventures is my primary organization where I'm the chief disruptor. And the whole idea with that uh, organization is that we wanna integrate innovation with an equity diversity lens to help build communities and organizations, to be more inclusive. And when I say inclusive, it's about being a people-centric organization with a focus on why do we value the people out there and and so on. Um, But my second company, Step Up Leadership, is actually focused on the leadership component, is how do you actually build leaders to to help lead people-centric organizations? And if you look at it right now, it's all about, like, if you look at the masses, you'll see that most of the top tier levels happen to be, um, how do we say this? Homogeneous in nature, in terms of, uh, tends to be typically white people or and predominantly white males uh, at a certain age. And I don't want to discredit them in any way. They have earned their positions and so on. But there is the lack of diversity in, in top tier uh, organizations. And so even if organizations wanted to be truly inclusive, there is also a problem there because they don't necessarily have visible minority that are ready to take on the role of a leader in an organization. So step-up leadership consulting is to help bridge that gap towards working to build leaders from systemically excluded communities and then trying to to figure out how do we actually uh, open the market for people. And when I talk about systemically excluded, it's it's what I consider women, members from the BIPOP community, people with disabilities, both visible and invisible, members of the LGBTQ2 plus community, or even anybody who even considers themselves that is being excluded. For example, extroverted versus introverted. Leaders tend to be more extroverted versus introverted. How do you actually help open up the doors by understanding what is required for a leader and how do you actually help them? So that's essentially um, the two types of work in terms of one's more consulting and a social enterprise type of work, dealing with social issues and working with organizations. And the other one is more about the people side to help the leaders.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing. It's it's quite multifaceted, both companies that you have. How has that been received by industry? Have you engaged a lot? What does that look like? Future looking, what do you forecast for connecting with different companies and organizations that are wanting to have these conversations and actually start trying some new initiatives?
1: So I see two questions here. I'm going to try and get to both of them um so the first part is um when i started this the company with next evolution ventures i had a a vision about wanting to try and figure out like how do we raise awareness on social issues and then how do you actually uh, engage communities to actually come up with ideas that could potentially solve solutions and then us build solutions based on ideas that come in from the community. Um, To be very honest, Alberta is is behind in terms of taking on the lead on EDI. And uh, I've been hitting a lot of roadblocks in in that thought process. But I've also got a good group of people that have uh, kind of joined the bandwagon with me to kind of uh, come together, including Northwest College in, in many ways with the intent to see what is familiar for Albertan organizations at this point of view. So we kind of shifted our, our direction a little bit to be more consulting at this point in time, because that seems to be what's more familiar to organizations. And I f- figured, you know, why, why take the high road and go to the extreme step when organizations are not ready for it. This does not mean that organizations in Alberta are not ready for the change. It's just that it's new territory for them and they're trying to figure things out and you want to give them, you know, take baby steps as you go through the process. So the whole idea was to try and give them like something that's more familiar. So we do consulting work with organizations and our focus in the consulting areas are creating diversity and inclusion strategy and roadmaps, uh, kind of looking at it from If you have a policy, let's review your policy, or if you don't have a policy on EDI, then let's help you develop one. On top of it, we also kind of look at systems and processes, because you may have an intent to do something, but sometimes the way that you do things or the tech or the things that you have in place may not allow you to actually break down certain barriers. For example, a recruitment system might be so rigid in some ways that it's not it's not accessible for people with, you know, Asperger syndrome who, you know, or some of those elements. So it's it's more of how much accessible are some of these tools that's that or systems that you have in place for people that uh, don't necessarily feel that they can get into the work environment directly in some ways. It is catered to one specific type of uh, group of people. And in future, we want to try and look at how do we actually implement EDI when you design infrastructure, when you develop products or di- you're providing services in in uh, planes. Um, something that we are kind of in connection with um, city of Lethbridge, who does it a lot more better is to is they're really trying to get the indigenous relationships and teachings into their design. So we're keeping a watchful eye and I'm connected with Perry Stein out there just to understand where things are at. But we also do audits and assessments just to understand the health of organizations on their journey of doing it. And then um, in collaboration with uh, NorQuest and our own work, we are trying to build uh, courses that actually bring practicality, not just theory-based, but more of a practical approach to understanding what EDI means, what unconscious bias means, how do you actually shift your mindset as you go through this process as well. So that's most of the work that we're doing for organizations is we're pivoting and changing things to adapt to what the environment looks like. And and that's where I'm I'm, I'm at right now uh, in trying to do things. But long-term, what I wanna do is also start working on what are systemic problems that we have in the social, whether it's homelessness or you know, things of that nature, where there are uh, racism, hate crimes and so on. How do we integrate uh, an innovative thinking process into coming up with ideas from the community itself? Like this whole thing about being very people-centric is a big basis of our model. Is let's not just do it for the sake of Finding a solution. Let's actually do it because it's a viable solution for for the customer. So, in most cases, our customer is not going to be the same as our client in many ways. And so, it's how do we actually navigate through those things and have clients that are funding partners to be able to understand that it's about giving back to society in many ways and building better communities in so many ways. So that's my goal, and in 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 works right now and we're still in our beginning infancy stages of many elements uh, but we've got made quite a bit of traction in the last 18 months especially with uh, covid hitting us it actually changed our business model from going into a physical office space to virtual and it actually expanded our our connectivity in many ways
0: thank you alex for sharing about the important work that your organizations do and the commitment to equality that really aims to create a workforce that is diverse and promotes positivity and even though you're in your beginning stages of of building that organizational capacity it sounds like you've just made leaps and bounds in building those relationships with community and industry partners so that is that is great to hear so I've been just listening to you talk and I love your passion. I, I, can, I can feel it through the screen and it's amazing. I want to know what drives that passion, keeps you going forward with the work that you do.
1: So there's, there's two elements to it really that really start, struck a chord with me. One was I have a nine-year-old son and when he was in kindergarten, he was in one of the schools in downtown Edmonton. Being a four and a half year old, Kid, he came up to me once and he goes, "Dad, uh, when does the my skin color actually fade away and I become white?" And I was like, "What brought about that conversation with him?" And so we had a conversation with the teachers and the school principal and realized that there was nothing being said on that end that prompted him to do so. It was a feeling that he felt because he was in a non uh, like He was in a school that did not have the diversity that was uh, that was prevalent there. So just feeling that he got that he was different from everybody else. So that's kind of what prompted me to jump into this more to see how do we actually help break down barriers so every child in the future can feel included in many ways. Like you've you've seen that there are like the last one year has shown a lot of hate coming through in many ways you're seeing a lot of divergent thought processes and being people being very vocal about it um so I'm, I'm really concerned about where the future is going but i'm also very optimistic that you know there are people out there that want to actually make a stand and make a difference in way and step away from what we call the sleepy middle and actually step into being advocates in many ways um but Even more than that was my personal journey, coming in, like coming to Canada, being an immigrant here, not knowing where my home is actually, because having lived in so many places, I never found that I had an identity that, like my friends at work and personal friends always called me the international man of mystery because they never knew where I was coming from. It's like, well, you don't have an accent the way that typical person, like an Indian person, has or you don't even actually act like what we have been exposed to
0: a man of many lands very nomadic
1: (laughs) (laughs) bias in many ways that people just looked at me and assumed i was somebody else like Mm -hmm. i remember times when i was working and my boss would go like "Uh, so how does this work in your culture and i go like honestly i don't know because i've never lived the culture to its true fullest i've been exposed to so many different types of cultures it's just difficult understand those um, but when I made it to the senior executive level and was the only person of uh, color in, in in that position um, what I saw was that it gave hope to a lot of people because it was a feeling that you know he's done it which means that we have an opportunity to do it because they saw familiarity in many ways and so a lot of what my thing was doing was that I felt that, you know, I'm a person of privilege. I totally believe that I'm a person of privilege, but I also felt that I could give, uh, be a part of a solution in terms of, uh, you know, challenging the status quo of things. And I didn't, I didn't realize that I'm a rebel by nature. I always like doing things that's different or always challenging what uh, needs to be done. And I found that i had a re- true passion for wanting to connect with people and kind of like break down existing barriers like if you tell me there's a barrier i'm always going like you know what nothing's impossible so let's see what makes it different and so on that too initially when my younger ages i would go at everything now i've been a little bit more mature to realize what battles do i actually want to fight and what i don't but I realized that I had an opportunity to be an advocate for change and actually help with building a better world and then aligning myself with people and organizations that want to build a better world. And so when that started coming up, I realized that was my why of why I exist in many ways. And I feel like this is my calling in many ways. So um, yeah, obviously there are days I go like, oh God, why am I doing this type of work? But it always goes back to my why as to you stepped into this for a reason and you know, it's going to work out. It's going to take out. just, just, we'll keep going in it. And somehow every time I feel low and down, something pops up that particular week itself that says, you know what, now you know why you're still doing this. And so it's been ups and downs. It's been going through navigating through a whole different environment. But I still feel that there's something pulling me in this direction and that's what's getting me going waking up every day and having open conversations and raising awareness on things uh, related to uh, inequality in, in many ways.
0: Yes and I think when we tie ourselves to a greater purpose continuously propels us forward to do the work that needs to be done and uh, that work, as you mentioned, can be, can be challenging, especially with the landscape that we're in right now as it relates to equity and diversity. And just with all of these, these factors, like you said, COVID is definitely a factor where there's been some opportunity, but also in that a lot more challenge as well. Thank you for sharing your stories. I love to hear about why people are doing the work that they do and Oftentimes when it comes to somebody who is very passionate about what they do, it's, it's, it's obviously tied to something that's ingrained in them. I, I appreciated hearing the story about your son as well, because that really is a foundation for wanting to make these changes for our future, our future generations. Shifting gears a little bit, you did host a student for a work integrated learning opportunity it's so amazing to have partners in industry and the community that will work with our students to increase their workforce relevance, give them this opportunity to see what the real world of work looks like. So when you recently hosted that student, what was the experience like for you as the host?
1: Yeah, so I'm going to be honest here, because when I first at the idea of work integrated learning, it was like, hey, free labor, I'm going to get free labor here. And I was going like, <laughs> okay, step back. That's not why you're doing this. Let's step back and understand what the work integrated learning program was about and trying to figure it out as to why am I doing this? Why do I need to do this? And, so on. and this was an opportunity for us to also partner with Autism CanTech uh, through the program and hosting a a person that was uh, that had autism, and so while I've learned about autism in many ways and kind of like seen through, you know, the Big Bang Theory and a lot of other uh, media-related stuff, I never really experienced the direct connect with having to work with someone uh, firsthand. In many ways, even though we had a, a, abilities at work program when i worked at the city and we hosted quite a number of people out there uh, dealing with somebody with autism was something new to me i i will say that i loved the experience to begin with like it was just amazing connecting with uh, john from the get go as soon as i saw his resume and his video presentation i was going like oh my god this is an amazing person that i would like to to get on board because Automatically, I was like, oh, I have a few ideas on types of projects that I wanted to get in. Um, And I say it was a beautiful experience because it was, I think it did more benefit for me in many ways uh, as an organization. It, It allowed me to kind of look at it from a learning experience in many ways. Like by nature, human nature, we tend to try and align ourselves with similar type of like me personalities in many ways. And um, I've, built lead- I've built teams in many ways. And I remember my first team that I built, we, they were all individual and unique in their own way. But when they came together as a team, they conformed to what I wanted. And so the second team, I did the exact opposite. And I was like, oh my God, this is even more challenging. But the perspective taking on from people came out to be so much more better in many ways because yes, it was not easy handling the team component, but at the same time, we brought about amazing work in many ways. And that's what got me into looking at it from how, how do I actually learn something else that, you know, that's new and how do I navigate an environment? I know who I am. I know my leadership style. I know what it is. But it was a learning curve to realize that not everybody would accept the way that I do things. And I had to kind of like adapt and, uh, and churn things through. And so even just connecting with Dawn and partnering, it was interesting because I initially had a bias on what, how this was going to look like. When you look at it, whether it's a, a person with autism or it's just a student coming in, employers have a bias on, oh, they don't know enough or they don't have the experience or they can't navigate key projects. And so I started off with the bias and I was just like, okay, I'm just going to step in and kind of like uh, give direction, take the lead and, and push things through. Uh, and we're going to go a step by step process on how it's going. Worked first week. Immediately I connected with john and i was like oh my god there's a lot more potential to this person that, than what we have and it was like you know what let me try and expose him to a lot more things because this is a learning opportunity for him uh, and so i kind of looked at it from you know it it gave me an opportunity to change and adapt and incorporate him and try and get him engaged in in projects uh, understand how he worked, understand how um, he, he understood some of the work that we did, but also provided solutions to some of the problem. I can tell you there were a couple of projects where he brought up ideas and thoughts where I was like, oh my God, I didn't even think about that lens. He was coming at it from so many angles that were different. One, I've got 15 years of experience in this field and I think I know it. And he gave me a different perspective because he's coming from a younger generation that thinks differently and has different outlook on human, you know, like tech and all those elements. And so it was like being able to get that perspective. I think we actually put it on our risk matrix and actually realized that we would have, if we ran into that problem, we would actually be in a lot more trouble than we would have if he had not brought that perspective on. So, Overall, an amazing experience and something that I'll keep doing in many ways because it it brings you that low risk factor in terms of connecting with somebody that's there, um, but also gives you a lot of opportunities to, to innovate in many ways.
0: So what do you think is the biggest takeaway for students with experiential learning?
1: Yeah, so I think the greatest takeaway for for students in general is the hands-on experience. Uh, this theory that you learn, uh, and let's face it, what happens, what you learn is not what you experience on the on on the front lines. It, the theory gives you an idea or a guideline on how to navigate through things, but when you're in the situation, there's a lot more to it because you're dealing with people. You're not behind the screen you're not behind a book you're not you're actually dealing with people you don't know how people will react to situations dealing with emotions you're dealing with processes and processes and procedures are different for different organizations in many ways Um, so it's it kind of gives you that in-depth exposure to a lot of situations live situations in many ways but i i also find that there's also low risk you know, for the student, because, you know, there is an understanding that this person is coming in to learn and learning does not mean that everything has to go right. Uh, You know, failures will happen. Failures has to happen in, in many ways, because to me, I feel that if you fail, you actually learn more than it were if it were to work, because if it were to work, you, you're going to approach it in just one way. Whereas failure at least gives you opportunity to look at multiple ways to decide whether this is right or wrong. And to me, that was a big thing because our our brains are wired in such a way is that we, we look for solutions all the time in many ways. Like if you see a problem, our brain automatically goes to what is a solution for it. And we're going to one solution. And I think being in this environment for students, I think, And this is on the onus is on both the student and the employee partner in many ways, because employee partners need to be open to accepting that these people are not just grunt workers. They're not here just to do menial labor type jobs or like administrative type of jobs. These people come with a lot of knowledge that's new to the market that they have learned through exposures to the industry and so on. Um, And I actually give them an opportunity to look at live projects in many ways and see, can they even handle these components in many ways? And then kind of, you know, mentor them to be able to develop themselves. Um, What I think is the greatest part of it from a student's perspective is exposure. Exposure to to not just the work, but the people, clients, you know, even things like marketing and like invoicing and those type of things that you normally don't expect, but becomes part of like the 10% of work that you have to do in the field. But also I think it brings discipline in many ways because it gets you on a routine basis to understand what is structure, what is organization, even if an organization like we are very free in how we operate. We don't follow a strict schedule in terms of uh, time frame we, we we are based on deliverables at the end of the day so whether you want to do it in one day or spread it over a week we have weekly deliverables that are in place so that itself brings structure and focus to people uh, people and I think seeing how my son's growing I think that's one of the things that i I really hope that he gets into mind is that you know uh, no matter how free freelance we are or Free we are in thinking, um, structure does play an important role in how we compose ourselves and think about ourselves uh, in many ways. So I think those are the elements that I feel that are beneficial for students. Um, and you know, it's, it's building a good, great work ethic in many ways.
0: Yes, absolutely. Now, being a host, what recommendations or suggestions might you give to other employer partners that are considering taking on work-integrated learning students for these various different types of opportunities, just to better allow a a good experience mutually?
1: So I will start off with this is, like every employer partner should not take this as this is a one-way approach, that you are providing an employment Experience to the person. I think every employer partner needs to look at it. This is a true partnership. Like there is a lot for you to learn from the student as well through the process. And I think why I said this is because this will help change the mindset of how we approach work integrated learning or co op or practicums or many of those things in many ways because our tendency tends to be like, oh, it's free labor, let's or Labor or cheap labor, for that matter, uh, and let's give them the the grunt work. They are here to just follow things that that are there. I I look at this is that you know, they look at they give you a different perspective in many ways. They look at it from things that you may never have thought about just because you think you have the experience. The world around us is changing constantly, and we are we are being exposed to a lot of things. Like last year was a huge testament of the fact that COVID changed our life. A lot of organizations were going like, yeah, we can't work in this remote environment. We need to be fixed to our, uh, our, our seats. It was all about control. That does not work with the millennial groups, does not work with future generations. But we're so rigid in our thinking that that's the only way because that's what we know and what we've grown up with. And I think last year taught us that the environment changes drastically. And I'm almost positive to say that a lot of the younger generations, younger students actually became more productive in this new environment because it adapted more to what they're comfortable with in many ways. Using tech in many ways, looking. Being in the comfort of of their home, which is you know, a lot of people find that that's the zone that they are in, and being able to you know just have that few five minutes to actually just even go walk your dog or like step out and have that balance in many ways. So my my advice to our, like employee partners is take the risk, take the opportunity because you will be surprised. In so many ways, I was like, I look at it from the fact that, you know, I, I, I worked with two or three different types of uh, people from John, who's been with the autism can Tech to uh, another person who's got an aut with the CSL program coming in through doing accounting work and so on. It's just that I look at it and go like, these are employable people there is opportunity to build them as part of my team and they help build and see a vision for your team that's different or challenge you to be different. in many ways. And challenging you to be different is not a bad thing. It's actually a positive move for your organization, especially in the world. So don't engage them because you want them as just workers, but engage them because they're going to be true assets for your organization.
0: That's solid advice for any employers that are considering taking on students. And it is a two-way street. It's a partnership, not only with the student to help enhance their, their experiences, but also with NorQuest. And we're building our future workforce. That's essentially what it comes down to. So thank you so much for your partnership with NorQuest and the students that you've hosted so far. This is really kind of segueing into a conversation around mentorship. And like you've mentioned, it's it's mentorship both ways, which is a win-win for everybody. So why is mentorship important to career success? For anybody that's getting out there and they're starting to prospect for their future career journey, why is it important to think about mentorship in the way of really allowing yourself to have that foundation for success for your future? as somebody who wants to get out there and really make a name for themselves and build their career and build their reputation and and be a valuable part of the world of work.
1: Yeah, so when I talk about mentorship, I don't talk, I'm going to be a little bit more broader in in the sense that I think the, take mentorship as a verb rather than a a noun, Uh, and this could be, uh, you could, you could, you People tend to do this, whether you talk to a friend or a co-worker, or you get an external coach in many ways, you're actually getting assistance. Uh, fundamentally, we do this in many ways. Uh, sometimes it's subconscious, but then there's also the conscious effort to do it. And I think this is a key part of it in terms of being a good leader, as well as a good employee in, in many ways, because for me, mentorship is about identifying your blind spots like we are all wired in, in certain ways. Our brain is uh, wired in such a way. And if you go into under, understanding neurodiversity in many ways, there is a lot of uh, thoughts around how we approach different uh, problem, problems or so on. Like we tend to go to what's familiar with us. Um, but what I see mentorship do is actually, you actually become friends and you actually build trust Brill build that empathy side to you in many ways around understanding people for people and not as inanimate objects in many ways. But when I talk about blind sides in many ways, it's, it gives you that third or a different perspective or lens that comes in from exposure or experience that a mentor has. So usually a men- mentor has more of an experience than you have. But I won't discount the fact that you could also get mentorship from somebody that's younger because I, I do have open conversations with my nine year old son who tells me certain like very bluntly sometimes that, you know, that I don't like what you're doing or that's not the way it is. And you you start questioning yourself to think, you know, can you maybe it's not something that's reflective of it because of the type of work that you're doing. So how do you actually get perspectives from different sides of uh, uh, like the spectrum in many ways, like as much perspectives as you want.
0: Challenge um, those assumptions of ours.
1: Yeah, exactly. But I think it's also a good place to have a good balance of mental health because I know personally for me, it's been that component because I'm the type of person that, takes on a lot of things and I worry about things like when problems arise, I take it on myself and I put the burden on myself and realize that I I actually struggle for sometimes asking for help in many ways. And that creates a whole sense of uh, issues around mental health in many ways. You, you You just get bogged down on things that you're really not looking at the bigger picture or you're not able to find yourself through a mix of things. So I think when when students or employee, employees try and get into, into entry-level jobs and so on, one of the things that they look at is, they think there's a lot of pressure on them. They wanna perform well. They wanna do things uh, great. And especially now the job market is like, there's a lot of talent out there. And so it's and not enough jobs in the market. So you have, you're trying to, you're putting excessive pressure on yourself on a lot of things. And so, I think this is an avenue of, you know, connecting with career coaches, with personal coaches, professional coaches to try and get yourself away from letting go of a lot of things that are holding you back from being the best version of yourself.
0: So if a student wants to seek out meaningful mentorship, what are some avenues for them to do that? Do you have any suggestions for our listeners on if they're thinking, oh, I, I would really like to connect with some individuals that can give me some insights, pursue my journey. How, how can they do that?
1: It's different for different scenarios. And I think I always go down to the question around why are you seeking mentorship in the first place? What's your why? What's your intent on Mentorship because that changes the direction. That's I, I'm being very candid here. There are people who are looking at for selfish needs, it's like how do I get to this person so I can get to that particular job, or listen. Networking is not about it. that's networking is trying to figure out how, what is it. Mentorship is also is not just about building that network. It's actually like building relationships. relationship, and so I think the focus on mentorship is. Why am I, what do I want to get and who do I best align with and trying to be honest and authentic about your why, why you're connecting. Human nature is that people want to coach and try and be educators in many ways. So, but I think it's valuable for for students once they know what they really, why they want this mentorship and being open and honest with people to have that conversation I think there will be a better alignment when you are true to yourself as to why you want to do it. So yes, there are different mediums of how you connect with people. There's social media, there's networking opportunities and so on. If you want to build meaningful connections. You got to understand what is your, why, why you're doing things the way that you're doing it. And also be pre- be prepared because there are going to be some tough conversations, some very difficult conversations. And it's about being vulnerable and trying to make it work because you actually want to make it work. I've had people who've come up to me and said, you know what, I would like you to be your mentor. And I've gone like, so what do you want to achieve at the end of the day? They're not prepared for that question. They don't know what they want. They don't know what where they're going. And they are just like putting out feelers because somebody's told them they need a mentor and they need to go and find something. I think it has to be intentional about what your objective.
0: Shifting gears, I would like to hear from your amazing knowledge base and expertise about advice for new job seekers and our graduates. So general tips on how can students stand out during the hiring process? So resumes, interviewing tips, as you mentioned, it's an employer's market right now. There is a large pool of really qualified, uh, competent, amazing applicants. So how can a uh, new student, somebody who's just come out of their post-secondary program who doesn't have a ton of experience really stand out to those employers?
1: Yeah, like I'll be honest with you right now, it's a very tough job market. Like it's, it's you're right, it's an employer's market right now. There's so many people out there, like typically in the past, if you had a position out, you'd, you'd probably get like, under a hundred applications per posting that's there right now. That number's in thousands, right? And so it's also very difficult for employers to kind of go through hundred a 1, thousand resumes for one position. Um, so I don't know how it's going to work out. Like to be honest, like it's 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 a it's going to be different from what it's typically. and I don't speak from the recruiting side of things. I think you need to figure out, like as as a student figure out what's your core competency in many ways and actually even try and figure out is, are you spreading yourself too thin by applying in too many positions or have you defined where you wanna go to as well? I think there'll be different things that are there that you need to kind of, it does mean playing around a little bit in terms of changing things over people have the standard habit of taking cover letters and, you know, just copy pasting and putting it, just changing names here and there. I think there needs to be an intentional piece of looking at cover resumes. You know, your resume is going to like, the way it's going to be is like people are going to look at the cover resume, cover letter first. And if they see there's something interesting in that, they're going to go to your resume. So what's going to make that cover letter really stand out in many ways to do the rest, in terms of going into your resume, which I would say has to be detailed but still concise, so that you know you're not going to too much depth in many ways. It, being very honest, it's 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 a tough market to be to be out there. Like even entry level positions, and I don't know why organizations do this, but there are entry level positions. They're called entry level positions, but if you look at the job description, they say two to three years of experience. You go like. Don't call it an entry-level position, but that's what it is, right? And there needs to be a change in how that's represented. But as a potential employee, you can't make that change. You just have to accept it for what it is and, and try and figure out where that goes. And there are many ways of how you can actually build that two- to three-year experience component to probably stand out. Now, I'm a kind of a little bit biased on video resumes and putting pictures in resumes because I feel that sometimes that can bring a bias that might go for or against you not sure so i know i'm part of a huge conversation about whether resumes have to have picture resume like pictures on them i personally have tried it both and i realized that sometimes i really don't get calls from when i have a picture on my resume and sometimes i have it really depends there are also people telling me that the type of picture I put in comes across as intimidating. You know, you never know what people can perceive to those. things. So I would say is, is make your experience count, make your cover letter count. Don't try and like, yes, be different, but don't be overtly different. Take an opportunity to maybe even connect ahead with, with the potential recruiter to understand the position. Don't do it as a way to try and put yourself in the play. It's always about trying to understand if this is the right fit for you. And the last piece of advice on this is, you know, knowing where the job market is, consider looking at building your own business. Like, I think there's an opportunity there to kind of like step into the world of entrepreneurship in many ways. Um, Because, you know, that could lead into a consulting type of gig in like those type of things. Don't feel let down because you, you've been through 200 uh, interviews and you haven't had an opportunity. Um, I think that's the reality of the situation. It's just build your network through the process network. It's, it, it's all about building yourself and learning through things as how you could do things better.
0: Alex, what are some options for students that don't have work experience here in Canada?
1: Volunteering has changed, the, like there's a huge shift and change in change in how volunteering is looked at today uh, than it was in the past. People used to do it in the past with the intent of true volunteerism. Now it's more around what's in it for me. And I, I wanted to say this, especially for newcomers to Canada and who don't have the experience in Canada, that you know, just because it's not in your comfort zone, Doesn't mean you shouldn't step into this world. I think it's very important for people to realize that volunteering, don't look at it from a short term financial gain in many ways. Look at it from the long term piece because what volunteering does is it gives you that part in your resume that you are concerned and you are part of a community and you're willing to work on a community. That goes a long way for organizations in in Canada, because there are a lot of organizations, no matter how uh, they say that their bottom line is products and services type of thing. There's always a give back in terms of the work they do with uh, communities, whether it was United Way, with World Vision or any of those Red Crosses, and there's always a way of giving back that they actually promote. So don't think about volunteerism as in what is the immediate about it as in you're doing this because you actually want to do it for a long-term gain of of community development and giving back Um, and I believe that that also builds a different type of empathy in you to understand yourself in the work environment Uh, so students and trust me like organizations look at the volunteering component quite a bit just to understand you know how do you expose yourself how do you step up in communities? How do you step up towards doing things without always expecting a monetary result for it? So my my last call to people is really step out of your comfort zone when you can. And it doesn't mean just jump into the fire. Like you can take calculated risks as you move forward, but expose yourself as much as you can, because just because you're a mechanical engineer that's come in, doesn't mean that's your your path figure out are you looking for a job or are you looking for a career and then try and figure out because they're two different things a job just gives you the satisfaction of a paycheck career gives you more in terms of where you want to grow yourself personally and professionally as well and to me that's that's the take is like like the moment you find what your why is you will automatically start moving your uh, your part into career and that's going to be more meaningful and purposeful so that does mean stepping out of your comfort zone understanding who you are and taking calculated risks through the process my journey from an architect to being a social entrepreneur is something that you know it took 15 years to get there and yes at one point it was a paycheck now it's more of a passion like like i'm not really worried about yeah i do want a paycheck to pay the bills and stuff but it's not about making that paycheck happen in many ways. So my thing to people is take a chance, take a chance, uh, both for employees or students, but also employee partners. You never know what you can learn of.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Alex. I think you've given our listeners, whether they be a part of the Northwest community or our student listeners, so much to think about and so much great insight and information. And I really just appreciate you taking the time to be with us here today to share everything that your organization does and just about your your career journey. I love hearing about people's career journeys and how they've come into the work that they do and the amazing impact that they have. Thanks again for being with us. And uh, we look forward to many more partnerships in the future with, with you and your organization.
1: I'm excited to be an employee partner with NordQuest, and that's one of the, like one of the great things that has happened through this uh, journey, through stepping into the world of honor, Something I probably wouldn't have been exposed to if I was continued my journey with us.
0: Thanks for tuning in to episode six of the Career Quest podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening. Please remember to subscribe to our show so you can get access to the latest episodes once they are released. If you're looking to get support with resumes, cover letters, interviewing tips, job searching, networking, or career planning, please contact the Career Centre to get more information on how we can assist you in starting your career journey. You can email us at wilcec at norquest.com dot c a.